Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, April 21st. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. I am not Bill Press. I am Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill today, 421. After yesterday's celebration, man, it smells like weed in here. Still. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. You know how you can get a hold of the show. Just watch us live. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also putting out that podcast every single day. You uh, asked, we listened. You wanted the whole podcast, we gave you the whole podcast. No more cutting anything out. We give you the whole show all day, every day. Uh, just go get a hold of it. Uh, right after the show, Jamie uh, puts it up there. Just go search for Bill Press Show on iTunes or check out our website, BillPressShow.com. If you're listening to us in Chicago, we thank you very much. Couldn't do it without you either. So, uh, oh, yeah, but don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, Jamie Benson running the board. Jamie, how are you, sir? little under the weather. little under the weather? Yeah. Um, Got sick of my birthday. I was sick of my birthday last year. It's not, it's not, it's not a good feeling. No, nah, this has happened before. I, I, I kind of have a curse with my birthday. It's like Did you every, go out at every, least? No. You just stayed in? But my girl, my lovely girlfriend, yeah. brought me pho uh, oh. from my favorite pho place. That'll do it. Uh, and she brought me bourbon and lemons. So that, every time, it's all a good night. Every time, bourbon, that how it goes. honey, lemon. That's it. That's all you Gold need. rush. Yeah. Uh, all right, we got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff to go to to get through today. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. I know. I know. I try. I got coffee. I got water. Do what you got to do. Just just so y'all know, Jamie's playing hurt today. Here we go. Uh, On the heels of our 420 show, uh, some some aftermath from 420. I don't have any of the big arrests from around the country, but I do have some of the arrests from a certain event here in Washington, D.C. We touched on this briefly yesterday. The local marijuana group, DCMJ, 
uh, had planned to give away 1,227 free joints yeah, yesterday right. outside of the Capitol right there at First and Constitution. The joint session, they called it. The, jo- that, the joint session. There were a couple of arrests. Several people were arrested in front of the giveaway uh, just a short walk from the Capitol building. Uh, Adam Edinger, the co-founder of DCMJ, was not one of them. He was handcuffed, did not expect it to actually be taken to jail. Uh, They were under the uh, assumption that what they were doing was on D.C. land versus federal land. Look, we said that wasn't going to work. Capitol Police did not agree with that assessment, uh, ended up uh, arresting a few of the demonstrators, a few of the folks that were actually handing out the truth. I don't think anybody who accepted the joints uh, were arrested. But that would be tough. There you go. So, that would be tough. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, guys, I, I know they, were, they were trying to test, and then they, 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 they sort of got what they wanted. Right, got a little too close for comfort there. A new study uh, uh, conducted at UMass, University of Massachusetts, on the Colin Kaepernick kneeling before the national anthem had some interesting results. First, they simply asked uh, both white and black responders, do you support the right of these athletes to kneel during the singing of the national anthem? Uh, by race, pretty stark here, uh, 61% of black respondents answered that they do uh, support the player's right to kneel, only 28% of white people. More startling, however, the researchers found after asking respondents uh, certain key questions about traits for both white and black people, hardworking versus lazy, violent versus peaceful, intelligent versus unintelligent, that UMass professors ended up finding the people who held the most racial bias were far more likely to oppose athletes protesting during the anthem. Do you know what that means, Peter? Tell me. People who are against Colin Kaepernick <laughs> and athletes kneeling at the anthem are racist. What? <laughs> we Shock now, of all shocks. We now have definitive proof, uh, thanks to the University of Massachusetts. That's a, it's a cool study, however. Yeah, that's very to, interesting. Which that's I'm sure is a difficult study as well to really go in-depth. Um that's pretty much all I have. NFL schedule released yesterday as well. I don't watch the Patriots open the season at home against the Chiefs. Roger Goodell will be in the building. Of course he will. Should be interesting. Of course. Will Trump be there? I For hope, his favorite team? I hope to God You not. and Donald Trump have the favorite, the same favorite teams. Please stop. All right. More coming up. Hang on just a second. We'll be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show on a Friday, April 21, 421, all day today. We're going to celebrate 421 about the same way we celebrated 420. Sort of get baked and smoke weed every day. Smoke weed every day, right. Yeah, exactly. By the way, if you did not get a chance to watch our uh, broadcast yesterday, we did a special Internet-only feed. So if you're listening in Chicago or you normally uh, stream the show or however you get it, we have a special broadcast up on our YouTube channel, uh, our 420 special. It's uh, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. If you go there, we have the entire – we did about 40 minutes of show yesterday uh, where we had our friend Matt Laszlo in. We had our buddy from Normal. Uh, We had a Maura Judkiss, writer from The Washington Post. We had Bullfrog Bagels. You know, we really missed an opportunity. You say we did 40 minutes of show yesterday. We could have done 420 minutes of it. We should have done 420 minutes. I don't know if Bill would have survived, but... um... Bill got baked yesterday. Can we just say that? Like, Bill got... you got to go watch the video. It's all on video. Bill got baked yesterday. Uh, Watching him leave the studio afterwards was a real trip. 
But so if you haven't seen the video, go check it out. It's YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We've got it up there. You know, I was thinking yesterday, or this morning, I should say, um, I was thinking about how this was, in fact, on video. And, um, you know, we may have future jobs after this. (laughs) Not anymore. May not be forever working for The Bill Press Show. And I was thinking about the Alex Jones trial that's going on right now. Oh, man. You know, the the custody battle. He couldn't remember key facts about his kids because he had a big bowl of chili. Yeah, it was only because he ate chili, not the drugs. But they asked him about marijuana yesterday. Yeah. And particularly they pointed to a tape, a video, of him (laughs) smoking on Joe Rogan's video podcast. Um, By the way, Alex Jones did end up saying... Uh, that um, he smokes marijuana once a year now just just to test its strength. (laughs) And he says it's stronger than ever before, and he blames that on George Soros. Yeah. There's no one like Alex Jones. There's no one like Alex Jones. I just test it just so I can – I I only smoke weed so I can test it. And not everybody agrees with me, but, Peter, I think you agree with me. As horrible as he is, the world needs Alex Jones. The world needs Alex Jones. You're right. He's a terrible, terrible human. I would, Jamie, would you get high with Alex Jones if the opportunity presented itself? 100% yes. I absolutely would. I wouldn't hesitate for a second. But I wouldn't hang around long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'd I'd get high with him, but then I think it would not last long. I'd I'd worry that he'd take his shirt off. Yeah. You want to wrestle? Yeah. He he was the guy, but he's that stoner. Mm -hmm. We know that stoner. He's that stoner. He's the stoner who gets baked and then wants to, like, fight. Get some barbecue and be <laughs> slathered in barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce everywhere. Come on, come wrestle with me. Maybe a big bowl of chili. I feel really good right now. I that's, feel like I could feel no pain. That's it. Come on. By the way, thank you for your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Um, Muru, I think we were just going to call it Muru, M-U-R-U. Uh, this summer, I would like to donate a new bong to the studio. Okay, look. That you're not wrong. <laughs> the bong that we had in here yesterday, I haven't used that bong in a very, very long time. I don't usually smoke out of a bong. You know how Roger Stone has his Richard Nixon bong? Yeah. We need a Jerry Brown bong for the studio. Oh, man. Yeah. That's got to be out there, right? Because that's Bill's hero. That's got to be out there. Jerry's a stoner. It used to be. Jerry Brown bong. I, I would smoke out of that. Anyway. Uh, go check it out. Go check it. We got a lot of good positive comments uh, about our 420 show. Uh, man, uh, I t- by the way, Jamie uh, Jamie's birthday was yesterday, and he's ill. He's sick. For those who didn't catch that in the first part of the opening, there, Jamie's under the weather today. So you didn't celebrate 420 anymore after the show. You just went home. And well, just, oh boy, <clears throat> man, it's a medication. Away. You know, you gotta. I, I'm with you. I didn't go wild, but uh, yes. Yeah, yes, right. I did. I, I celebrated, I think, around 420. Yeah. That's what, as one does. Because you love the holidays. All right, folks. Uh, let's get right into the big, big, biggity, big, big stories of the day, because there are a lot of things to talk about. First of all, I, I, I hate doing this. I genuinely hate doing this, because I think that just reading Donald Trump's tweets is sort of the lowest form of journalism. That's what they. That's what like CNN hired guys like Chris Salisa to do is just come on and interpret the Donald Trump tweets. Like, like there's a whole industry built around. What did the president mean when he tweeted? Here he tweeted this morning. No matter how much I accomplished during the ridiculous standard of the first hundred days, and it has been a lot. Parentheses including SC. In parentheses, media will kill. 
All right, I'm going to read that again very slowly. I want you all to listen very carefully. I actually have a question. What does SC mean? My first guess would be South Carolina, but in that context, it doesn't make much sense. He's right? saying, I accomplished a lot during the first 100 days, including SC. Supreme oh, Supreme Court. Court. Yeah. Supreme Court. Thank you, Monty. There's Monty with the tip in there. No matter how much I accomplished during the ridiculous standard of the first 100 days, and it has been a lot, including Supreme Court, media will kill. All right. Okay. The first 100 days standard, he, he maybe has a point in terms of how ridiculous that standard might be because it's just a number. But the, the, the point is he hasn't filled roles that he needed to f- have filled on day one. He bombed uh, on the Muslim ban. He bombed on health care. Like, there are a lot of strikeouts here. Say what you will about Barack Obama. Barack Obama had his stuff together for that first 100 days. He got a lot of stuff done. It's kind of like every president sort of uses that target of the first 100 days. Say, in the first 100 days, this is what I got done. Only thing Trump can point to is that someone picked a Supreme Court nominee for him and they got it through by using the nuclear option in the Senate. Congratulations on your leadership, I guess. That's pretty weak. By the way, the, the New Yorker did an article a couple weeks ago on the guy from the Federalist Society, I forget his name, who actually picked Gorsuch. Yeah. Barely any mention of Trump in it. It's it's about him because he's the one who did it. Yeah. This is all- yeah. Guy from the Federalist Society. That's Trump what they do. doesn't give a royal ripe F about who's on the Supreme Court. He doesn't care. First of all, no one uses the, the abbreviation SC. There's a dot after S, dot after C. Yeah. It's even worse. That makes it look like state. Right. I'm so confused. Second of all, it's SCOTUS. Yeah, SCOTUS. It SCOTUS. Just use SCOTUS. Media will kill. Okay, dude. I mean, look. Guy's a terrible president. Did you see the first thing that popped this morning from him? Was it's a retweet. It, was it the France thing? Oh, no. What did he do? It's a retweet from Fox and Friends because, of course, uh, our oh, the Patriots thing starts his morning every morning now with Fox and Friends. Can you walk us through the Patriots thing a little bit? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty simple. Because I have takes on this. So the New York Times sports editor tweeted out, decided to tweet out a, a comparison photo of the last time the Patriots visited the White House uh, after they won in 2013, 2014, um, with President Obama and a photo uh, from just this past Wednesday with uh, Donald Trump. Now, you see there, right there in front of the White House on the steps of the South Lawn, uh, in that first photo, you see it pretty flush. You see it pretty full because what you have is you actually have, like, the rest of the staff and the trainers coming up the steps. Mm. During Trump's ceremony, those people sat in the stands in front of the stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So the sports editor exaggerated. He was trying to do a viral thing. I guess it was kind of funny. But it was, in fact, inaccurate. So now conservative media is seizing on this, trying to get this as a case of the liberal New York Times. It was just an accident. Yeah, well, it was I mean, wrong, but, but it was an accident. Here's the thing, though. I mean, in the spirit of the tweet, actually, I think was right on because there were a lot of players who did not go. Yeah, but it wasn't as I mean, it wasn't as exaggerated as the picture made it seem. Yeah, I understand that. I do understand that. But that's kind of not the point. Um. Because, like, how many players didn't go, Jamie? There were a lot, right? I think the total that did go was 36. So you take that off 52. There's 34, I think. 34, so yeah, 52 active roster. Yeah. So. It's 18 that didn't go. 
That's it. I mean, eighteen players didn't go to the White House if you won the Super Bowl. That's a big deal. But they have said in the past that there are players that that I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers. Oh, God, what? I'm sitting here defending. I know you Trump. are. You're defending Trump. Oh, you are defending Trump. Well, it's, I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. So I know. It's, it's but difficult. you know what? You know, here, here's what you, here, here's the thing. You could be a Patriots fan, but you can also understand that their owner is a terrible Trump supporter. Their quarterback, your hero, is best friends with Donald Trump and loves him. Do you know why the owner and the quarterback are terrible and all that? Because they're capitalists and they like money. Yeah. And that's why they hang out with but Donald that's, Trump. But that's like that's okay. You can still like what they do on the field, but you don't have to defend their antics. But they're not Rebecca Mercer, like you know, trying to get in Trump's ear and say yeah, close. you need to overturn Roe v. Wade. They're close. No, they're not. That might not be their issue, but they they've don't. Got their but issues. that's the thing; they don't have issues. Look the only issue they have is money. Look at Jamie. Everyone, look at Jamie. Oh hey, boy. Hey, make America great again. Am I right? No. Right. No hashtag. No hashtag. A little, no. little bit. Little hashtag. No, hashtag in there. Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, hashtag blitz for six. My point is, are you okay with the fact that players didn't go? Yes. Okay. Right, I, I'm trying to help you now. I now went. You look, like a, you look like one of them. I went. And you did go. Even though I was Shamefully. covering it as a member of the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am technically you went there a, a member you went there of the a media. Fan. Hold on. I wrestled with going at all in the first place, even as a member of the media. Yeah, that's fair. But I found it to be what some of the players that did go say what it was, which was oh a at ceremony this. at an institution that, I mean, it's it's Led it's a by once- a Nazi. Cool. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go to that stuff. When the Spurs win the NBA championship this year, I'm not going to go. I, That's my team. I don't, I'm not going to go. I don't believe that. I think you'll still go. N- never in a million years. Never in a million years. I, I'll, I'll say it right here. If the Lord hears my prayer and the Spurs win an NBA championship, I will not go to that White House. Should we put another bet on it? Do we want to talk about the bet you, you made? You want to make a bet? You want to talk about the bet you made I don't originally? I want to talk about the bet I made. I don't want to talk about the bet I made. But I, I, will, I'll bet, I bet you I won't go. I won't go. I'm absolutely not going to go to that White House and go there and look at this team that I love sit there with an honest-to-God, like, barely removed from a Nazi. If I Al- wouldn't go to that. If White Alabama House. wins again, nope. you, you won't go. I won't go. I'm not going to that White House. Let, right, let's say this. I actually had this conversation with somebody, and you chime in with uh, on this. By the way, at BP Show, I'd love to hear what you have to say. At BP Show, let us know if you would go to the White House. So, like, as we've talked about here on the show, Bill's show is in podcast form now, right? We do it on. We do a podcast with a company called District Productive that Jamie, you and I are sort of working mm-hmm. on. We're sort of helping to build. If Donald, if it becomes a huge hit, and Donald Trump says, "Oh, we want to have uh, the 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 biggest and best not, uh, names and minds in podcasting come to the White House," and we've invited your company to come to the White House to sit in a little round table and talk about things led by Donald Trump, would you go? I wouldn't. I'm not going to that White House for any reason whatsoever. I'm not going to go to the Christmas decorations. I'm not going to go if my favorite sports team wins i'm not going no way by the way i'm not judging you for going i'm really not doing that i'm just saying like uh, if someone says to me the white house is more important than the president i disagree now i just i just won't do it so i'm fine with the patriots that didn't go that actually i like the patriots did go one dude that didn't go said you know i have to come home and look my daughter in the face alan branch yeah yeah 
I'm I'm in total support of what they did. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. I know this sounds. I know this is kind of hard to unpack. But if I were a member of that team and I was invited, I wouldn't go. Okay. I would go as a member of the media, but if I remember that team, I wouldn't go. Those are two different things. I'll allow that. Because I wanted to see this. I wanted to see this the 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 spectacle of it all, right? Whereas if I remember the team, I wouldn't want to stand on the stage with him, knowing that he's the one trying to honor me. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. But you were part of the crowd there. I'm not giving you grief. But like I understand the I understand the disconnect. I wasn't clapping my hands. And no, 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 no. But you no, were you, no you weren't on stage. Face. You weren't. I, I'm trying to defend you. You weren't on stage with him, but you could be like, in the crowd watching. I, yes. I hear that. I yes. hear that separation. I, I was observing. I hear that separation. And I told you the other day. You know what I said? Mm. I said the one person I hope to see in person at the White House, just to see if he was actually a walking skin boil. Oh yeah. Was Steve Bannon? Steve Bannon. You didn't see him. Though, did I didn't you? see the Dark Lord. That's, that's I was pretty sad. upset. Uh, we got a couple comments on this. Uh, Dan says, country before team, Jamie. You ever think about that? Yeah, right after I sent Dan an article. Dan, Ooh, come on, man. Dan. Dan got I'm trying you. to help you out, and you're just digging me under. Derek says, hey, Peter, how was 420? 420 was excellent. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate you asking. Uh, again, if you want to check out the video, just go check it out at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. But, however, uh, speaking of Nazis and racism and all of that in the Trump administration, let's talk about Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. Honest to God, I am amazed, amazed that Jefferson Sessions is where he is. I mean, this guy is leading the Justice Department. A couple of different stories out of the Justice Department. First of all, uh, there is a report that the Justice Department is ready to go after Julian Assange. Now, do you really have to understand who Julian Assange is to Trump supporters to understand how crazy this idea is. Julian Assange is a hero to a lot of Trump supporters. He's the guy that gave us Hillary's emails. He's the guy that was a thorn in the side of Barack Obama who these MAGA Trump voters all uh, loved. The fact that he was uh, such a thorn in the side of Barack Obama. And now the Justice Department is talking about going after Julian Assange? There are already some of these Trump supporters who have come out and said, what is happening? This cannot happen. I am off the Trump train. If they go after Julian Assange, I am off the Trump train. It's so funny to watch these guys realize slow, like in slow motion that they've been completely conned. Just completely conned by a con man. Julian Assange is their hero, and the Justice Department is talking about going after him. It's so funny to me. But that's not even the dumbest thing that Jeff Sessions is doing. Uh, he, here he is talking about the Muslim ban. He was on Mark Levin's show and the, the travel ban, but I, we, we call it the, the Muslim ban. Here, here, here's, here's his take on it, where we are now. We are confident that the president will prevail on a appeal, and particularly in the Supreme Court, if not the Ninth Circuit. So um, this is a huge matter. Okay, so he's confident that they are going to prevail. Now, this has been shot down a couple times already. 
They're going to keep fighting it for whatever stupid reason. The most recent SmackDown came from the state of Hawaii, where they said that this cannot happen, this Muslim ban, a ban on uh, Muslim countries. And so Jeff Sessions is beside himself as to why Hawaii could stop this and listen to how he refers to a state in America. Uh, I I really am amazed that uh, a judge sitting on an island in the Pacific can issue an order that stops the president of the United States from what appears to be clearly his statutory and constitutional powers. You nitwit. An island in the Pacific. An island in the Pacific. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is, dude. An island in the Pacific. Yeah, it's a, on an island in the Pacific. It's a state. It's, it is a state here in America. Now, it's pretty clear to me that that's a little bit of a dog whistle. Not just me. Uh, Brian Schatz. Schatz? Schatz. Hawaii is uh, the only state that is a majority non-Caucasian. Uh, that's something mm. we're proud of. That's something that we uh, that makes us a special place. And it's something that Jeff Sessions clearly doesn't understand. Again, I don't know what is, what's in his heart. By the way, isn't it nice to hear somebody talk about, you know, a minority, uh, minority majority state, you know, like a, a non-white majority and, and, and act like it's and talk about it in the way that it's not some burden. Like, Brian Schatz is a white guy. He represents a lot of brown people. And he doesn't act like, oh, you know, this is something that we have to deal with. Like, he understands that that's part of what makes Hawaii so great. I mean, Hawaii's kind of gotten a bad rap from Republicans for a while now, all because of President Barack Obama's birth certificate. Yeah. Like, they talk about his vacations, because he goes to his home state of Hawaii or he went to his home state of Hawaii, like once a year, and they acted like he was on his way to, you know, China. Or Kenya. Or Kenya. This weird foreign uh, president going off to some foreign land. He's going to a state in America. And these war-loving Republicans forget Hawaii is the site of Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Hello. Listen, Hawaii is going to be one of the front lines if there is some sort of, you know, attack from North Korea or anything like that, which Donald Trump seems to be fine with. I just, you know, it's so, it's so, again, it's so naked to just call Hawaii just some island in the Pacific, right? Like, it, it, get real, guys. Good grief. So stupid. And, and of course, it's Jeff Sessions leading the way. That's what makes me so happy about it. He's just so dumb. Good for Hawaii, though, for leading the way on all that. I I, I think it's great. By the way, yesterday, uh, Donald Trump had a uh, press, little little bit of a presser with the uh, prime minister from Italy. I watched some of that. It's been a while since I sat down. I got to be honest, since the inauguration, I sort of started weaning myself off of cable news. I just can't watch as much of it as I used to. And especially, like, just watching Trump talk, it's so bad. Because he doesn't say anything. It's not like 
when George W. Bush spoke, he was goofy and and he tripped over his words a lot and all that. But like, he had thoughts, he had things to say. Donald Trump doesn't say anything. It's just all like bullet points that he remembers as he's falling through sentences. I haven't played you this one yet. I'd like to hear it. So he's with the Italian Prime Minister yesterday. Did he try to speak Italian at this press conference? And uh, he was talking about all the great things that come from Italy. Of course. Oh, did you play? Is this the one about Pavarotti? Now this is okay. So keyword here: all the things that come from Italy. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. came from Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here yeah, we yeah. go. Yeah. Through the ages, your country has been a beacon of artistic and scientific achievement that continues today. From Venice to Florence, from Verdi to Pavarotti, friend of mine. Great friend of mine. Great friend of mine. Great friend. He really wound up there for for Pavarotti. Yeah, yeah. Pavarotti is no longer with us. He is no longer with us. He's been dead for ten years. (laughs) Took a deep breath before winding up. To Pavarotti. (laughs) Great friend of mine. Great friend of mine. Just a great friend of mine. Pavarotti is dead. Frederick Douglass, Susan B. Anthony. A lot of people are hearing about Pavarotti. Pavarotti. All three. People are learning good more and more. Living about friends of Donald Trump. People are learning more and more about Pavarotti. Pavarotti is dead. So, um, congratulations on your. It's been ten years now. Hasn't it's been ten it? years. Yeah, I mean, it's not like. Oh man. All right, uh, Jamie, we're going to take a little bit of an early break because I was going to jump into healthcare, but I'd rather do that with Adam Wallner. Uh, he's our congressional correspondent for National Journal, our good friend Adam Wallner. Uh, he's going to be in studio here with us in just a couple of moments. We're going to talk about the rebirth of zombie healthcare. Will healthcare reform happen? Eh, maybe. We'll see. We'll ask Adam Wallner. He'll be in studio with me, your fill in host today, Peter Ogburn. Stay tuned to The Bill Press Show. We'll be right back. To Pavarotti, friend of mine, great friend of mine. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Tonight, someone almost brought Jack Thomas something to eat. Someone else almost drove him to a shelter. And another almost brought him a warm blanket. On any given night, you'll find people like Jack Thomas camped out on cold, lonely street corners in cities all over the country. You'll see them sleeping in doorways, on benches, just trying to find a little warmth. A lot of people almost helped Jack Thomas, but they didn't. And Jack Thomas, well... He almost made it through the night. As generous a nation as we are, sometimes instead of giving, we almost give. But almost giving is the same as not giving at all. Don't almost give. Give. To find out how, visit our website at don'talmostgive.org. This message brought to you by the Ad Council. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson, and I need your help. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 20s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stop arresting law-abiding citizens because they prefer marijuana over alcohol. Nearly 2,000 Americans are arrested every day on marijuana charges. 
We're unfairly destroying the lives and careers of hundreds of thousands of people each year simply because they smoke marijuana. These are not criminals. They're average citizens like you, good neighbors who work hard, raise families, pay taxes, and contribute to their communities. We need your help to end marijuana prohibition once and for all. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Coast to coast, from Shoshone to Sierra, White Mountain to Davy Crockett, they're more than our national forests, they are national treasures. But they are being devastated by fire as never before. The Arbor Day Foundation asks for your help in replanting our national forests to help restore their life-giving benefits and awe-inspiring splendor. Visit arborday.org. See what we're doing. See how you can help. Si sigues haciendo esa cara, se te va a congelar así. No, a menos que usted esté en un lugar muy, muy frío. Otra galleta, te vas a convertir en una galleta. Nunca nadie se ha convertido en una galleta. En realidad, muchas de las advertencias de mamá son exageraciones. Si no te haces chequear la presión, podrías tenerla alta, ni saberlo, y morir de un ataque al cerebro. Pero en este caso, ella tiene razón. Llame a la Asociación Americana del Corazón o para aprender más, visite nuestro sitio en el web. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 32 minutes past the hour. That doesn't really matter, though, if you're watching us on demand or however you're watching us. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show or listening to our podcast, which you can download on iTunes. Or if you don't use iTunes, just check us out uh, on our website, BillPressShow.com. Can we talk about something real quick before we jump in here? Can I introduce our guest really quickly? Sure. It's our congressional correspondent from National Journal, Adam Wolner. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Wolner. That's Wolner with two L's, W-O-L-L-N-E-R. And read his good work at nationaljournal.com. Jamie, go ahead. Well, you know, it's good. It's good you introduced Adam because I'm sure Adam has some thoughts on this as well. Adam's got takes. Uh, Hot takes. Hot takes. It's a take quake. You guys use uh, Google? Google A? Yeah, I use a Google A. You got an account, a little Gmail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gmail account. Uh, Google has announced that uh, Gchat... Also known as Google Talk oh. is going away. Oh yeah, I saw that. Wait, and, what? Uh, yeah. So because um, now it's just Hangouts. Now it's just Hangouts, which I uh, cannot stand. I hate Hangouts. I use Hangouts on my phone a little bit better on the phone, but I think it's a horrible interface. It works on the phone. Horrible interface on the computer. Yeah. And now I'm getting a message when I sign into my Gmail uh, as I try to use Gchat. Google Talk will be replaced with Hangouts on June 26, 2017. That's D-Day. And I can't get rid of this error message. I, I only have an option to look at it. So June 26, 2018, you said? 2017. I'm, I'm a little under the weather. Um, I, I only have the option to look at the message or to switch. Um, but it's not supposed to happen until June. Why? They're starting to roll you um, over, dude. This is, this is not good. They're starting to roll you I've, over. I'm just saying, I've heard from a lot of reporters who are big fans of Gchat and... I like Gchat. Ray's a big fan of Gchat. Yeah, we use, I mean, this is how we communicate during right. the show. Yeah, yeah, the, our yeah our work email goes through Gmail, so I'm using Gchat all the time. Yeah, right? That's going to be a pain. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be forced to start using Slack now, I bet. This is this is where this is going. We I can't think. use Slack. We're a non-Slack yeah. company. Let me hit you with a segue real quick. <laughs> all right, hit me. Now. Wait, who, you know, by the way, you, you know what we're going to have to do? I'm sorry, I keep stepping on you. But, like, the whole Facebook, you see the Facebook, the augmented mm-hmm. reality, you're going to be mm-hmm. able to start... 
sending thoughts to your computer. That's how we're going to communicate now. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with mind bullets. All right, here's my segue. <laughs> Google can upgrade to Hangouts before yep. the Republicans can get health care done. There you go. Oh, look at, Ooh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. What a segue. I, I was like, there's no way we can connect these dots. That man is a professional. He's a pro. That, that man is a pro. professional. Uh, Adam Wallner, uh, okay, I, I teased that we were going to talk about health care, and I want to start right there. Donald Trump yesterday, Jamie, if we can have those two clips from when, when he was uh, having his little joint presser uh, with the prime minister of Italy, uh, he says the health care plan just keeps getting better and better and better. The plan gets better and better and better, and it's gotten really, really good. And a lot of people are liking it a lot. We have a good chance of getting it soon. I'd like to say next week, but it will be, I believe we will get it. And whether it's next week or shortly thereafter. Okay. Let's just park it there for a second. Right. Are they going to get health care done next week? Uh, I highly doubt it. And next week is going to be all about avoiding a government shutdown. They're going to need to get a spending bill passed. So that's going to be priority number one. I, I highly doubt it. they're going to be able to juggle two massive pieces of legislation at once. But but I mean, but the big picture here on health care is I don't really see what has changed over the past month. I don't see how all of a sudden they can get to the 216 vote threshold in the House that they weren't able to get. In March, uh, you know, the political realities really haven't changed all that much. You know, based on some of the reporting that's been out this uh, over the past few days, you know, it seems like the Freedom Caucus, some members of, of the Moderate Tuesday group have been working with the White House to try and, you know, hash out their differences. And uh, it, there still is, is no bill, so there's no there's no way GOP leadership can even do a whip count at this point. So it's impossible to say whether or not they are coming close to anything that could pass. But I just don't see how the political realities have changed enough over the past month that – they weren't able to, if they weren't able to strike a deal in March, I don't think they're going to be able to now. Uh, okay, when you talk about the political realities, talk to us about what you mean. Because it, it, for all of the beating up on the Democrats for you know the Dems and disarray, which is fair and warranted, Democrats have a very serious problem on their hands when it comes to uh, getting power back or governing or mm-hmm. anything like that, right? But the Republicans have a very serious problem. This was not a blockade from Democrats. Um, so you have the Freedom Caucus that will accept nothing less than total repeal of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, and then you have more moderate Republicans, a phrase I hesitate to use, but more moderate Republicans. Right, yeah, yeah, it's all relative. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who have now realized that, oh, crap, people actually really, really like and benefit from this Obamacare. And so they recognize that the one thing you really can't do as an elected official is give people something and then take it away from them. That is just a death yes, sentence. Right. That is a death sentence. Right, and that's so, yeah, that's what you're seeing, especially with the Republicans who have favored uh, Medicaid expansion. Right, 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 right. right, know, right. It's exactly. really tough to go back on that now. But and and so, so in the House right now, you know, th- there was a lot of attention paid to the Freedom Caucus, and rightly so, uh, for why the previous version of the health care bill went down. But there were a lot of moderates opposed to that bill as well. There were, and again, relative moderates. You know, kind of that that so-called Tuesday group. That's kind of the. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, moderate version of the Freedom Caucus in a way, but so basically, if you're trying to get to that 216 vote threshold, it, it appears right now that they're trying to appease more of the Freedom Caucus side of things. But you know, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction when it comes sure. to this health care bill. You know, you, you maybe move to the right to bring over a few more Freedom Caucus members, but you're probably going to lose a few more moderate votes on the other side of that. So. 
and, and, and let's say they are able to, to somehow maybe convince all of the Freedom Caucus or most of the Freedom Caucus to get on board. They get to 216 votes, even if it means lo- losing a couple moderates. That bill is almost certainly going to be dead on arrival in the Senate because you have a handful of moderate or, again, relatively moderate Republicans there who are saying, no, we need to keep Medicaid expansion intact. So it, it's already a huge lift to to piece something together that can pass the House. It's another thing altogether that can pass both the House and yeah. the Senate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, getting back to these changes, Donald Trump says it keeps getting better and better. Jamie, that second clip where he says uh, it's evolving. We're doing very well in health care. We'll see what happens. But this is a great bill. There's a great plan. And this will be great health care. It's uh, evolving. Okay, first and foremost, Donald Trump does not know what the health care plan is. No, he he's not a he a details guy. No. I, I think is is fair to say he's a big picture guy. And and this is kind of part of the problem, right? Is you know one you have a, a president who has obviously no you know political legislative experience whatsoever, but a lot of his top leadership aides really have no experience passing major legislation through Congress. So, you know, it almost seems like the White House is kind of saying to Congress, hey, you know, our 100-day mark in office is coming up. We'd really like to get a big piece of legislation through. Uh, do health care. You guys kind of figure out the details. So we're going to leave it to Congress to figure out the details. And, you know, Congress you know, Congress is like, well, you know, it's our job to actually write the legislation, to schedule yeah. the votes, do all that. So, it, you know, it, it seems like the White House keeps sort of trying to delegate these the, the actual policy details to Congress. But really, you know, if Donald Trump really wants to try and use his, you know, his bully pulpit and uh, bring Republicans together, the White House is going to need to be uh, you know, working closely with the Freedom Caucus, with the Tuesday group, with Republicans of all stripes to if, if they want to actually find something that can pass both uh, chambers. OK, so, man, this is just so. Complicated is not the word, but like, OK, they had. Seven years? Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, they've been campaigning to re- to at least repeal Obamacare for, for seven for years. For seven years. So they knew that this was coming. Eventually mm-hmm. they were going to get back into power right. and have this opportunity. For as much grief as Trump gets for having a bad first hundred days, and I think that we here will make that argument that, yeah, it's, it hasn't been very productive. But this was not a failure on Trump's part. This was a failure on Paul Ryan's part. Because Paul Ryan sort of gave this arbitrary date that they were going to have this original vote on health care. He had all this time to come up with a better plan. And they had seven years to get something done, and now they're going to get it done in like a week? It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So I don't know why they keep bringing this up. Like, why why is it still a thing? Why, why won't they just move on, take the L, and move on? You know, because it, it's really tough to do that when this has been your – this is what you have been campaigning on for seven years. This has been the top campaign priority for seven years. Republicans up and down the ballot, everyone has had yeah. the exact same message. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. And I think that they're worried of what the blowback is going to be from their constituents if they – you know, if they're running for re-election in 2018, they said, well, look – we finally took back the White House. We finally 
we're in control of both the Senate and the House. And this is what we have been saying throughout the entire Obama tenure we were going to do once we took back control of Washington. We're going to repeal and replace this disastrous health care law that we have been railing against for years. But, oh, you know, when it came down to it, man, it was just a really tough vote. We weren't quite able to work out all the all the little nitty gritty details. But vote for me again and we'll take we'll yeah. take another crack at it. Then I, I just don't think that's going to be a very effective reelection argument. So I, I do think that a lot of Republicans realize that. While there is still um, a lot, you know, they have a long ways to go before they can find something that can actually pass. But I think they realize that it's going to be really, really tough to face voters in 2018 not having lived up to your biggest campaign promise. Okay, but that being said, they've also faced some voters. And these are not necessarily the ones that want them to repeal Obamacare. So you've had some of these Republicans that represent districts where they actually have a little bit of a fight unlike some of these uh, Freedom Caucus or Tea Party members. And so the message that they've been getting at these town halls, and I'll talk to you a little bit about the town halls and the mm-hmm. sort of the power of the, the, the people coming out now and saying, the Affordable Care Act has helped us out, and if you get rid of us, get rid of it, we're going to vote you out. And ha- that message is seeming to resonate with some of these conservatives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I think, yeah, uh, at least the, what, what I was talking about just before, I think that you know, the Republicans in the really safe districts, you know, yeah. e- even if there's a massive wave that would happen to occur in the 2018 elections, like they're going to be safe and they might they might have to almost worry about a challenge from yeah, the right. If right. Anything. Yeah, exactly. But, but uh, to your point, there are a lot of Republicans up in 2018 who are representing districts that Hillary Clinton actually won in 2016. And a lot of those moderate, even Republican leaning voters are saying, hey, there are a lot of aspects of Obamacare we like, so that's that's kind of the argument from from the the middle of the of the GOP at least is is that yeah we need to keep our base intact, but I'm going to need to win over some of these um, you know I'm going I'm to need to keep these moderates in my corner if I want to uh, actually hold on to my seat yeah and th- and, and that's where you might see um, you know a vote to uh, repeal Obamacare coming back to bite them. Okay, so we've spent some time on the Republicans and the health care and stuff like that. Let's talk a little bit about the Democrats, because uh, they find themselves in a pretty serious hole in terms of uh, any kind of governing. Yeah. And so we're starting to get our first couple of looks at how the fight against Trump uh, begins, right? We saw this. One election in Kansas, which was way closer than it should have been for Democrats. And now we have John Ossoff running for uh, Tom Price's seat in Georgia. And it's um, uh, John Ossoff and Karen, uh, Karen Handel. Handel. Yeah, yeah, Karen Handel, who we might remember from the Susan Komen uh, stuff. There was that whole big Susan G. Komen story that blew up a couple years ago, and she was at the head of it then. Yeah, she's been around for a while. She ran, well, she was the Secretary of State in Georgia, and then she uh, Ran unsuccessfully for both Senate and governor there, so giving it a, a, another try here for the third time's yes, charm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are these? I guess what I want to ask first of all, because I want to spend some time on this, are, is John Ossoff a serious candidate, or is he just sort of a reaction to Trump? And and how is the Democratic Party treating him? Yeah, you know, I, I lean towards more of the latter. You know, n- not to discount John. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to discount you know, anything. Or, but like, let, let's be just. just I'll, I'll sort of like. There are a lot of people who are just like, holy crap, Donald Trump got elected. We never, ever, ever thought this was possible. I have to run for office. Right. John Ossoff kind of has that vibe to me. 
Absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, 30 year old um, really hasn't been, you know, wasn't involved in politics for, for that long. You know, his brief stint um, on the uh, on the Capitol Hill as, as an aide. And I think, yeah, that this is almost shaping up. As, I think this, this runoff will be interesting because in a lot of ways, it's almost like a a sort of generic D versus generic R type. Sure. Race. So, so it could be actually kind of a good test of what uh, of just sort of what the political climate is, because a lot of times, you know, if you have really good candidates or you have um, kind of uh you know, candidates that aren't all that ordinary, sometimes that can, you know, you can still win despite a bad environment. But Ossoff, I mean, you know, anytime a House candidate is raising more than $8 million, uh, they're going to be in pretty good shape. And I think, and because also, I mean, you know, you listen to this guy, at least, there a lot of people are kind of questioning, you know, what exactly is this guy's ideology? You know, you even saw Bernie Sanders the other day, kind of, he was asked, is John Ossoff a progressive? And Bernie goes, well, I'm not really sure. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know Bernie kind of got a lot of, of heat for that. Um, you know, for, from Democrats saying like, look, we, you know, there's, this is no time to nitpick over ideology. We just need to win where we can. But I think it, it is, it's fair to a certain degree because it, you listen to the interviews this guy does. I think he, he was on CNN yesterday and, and um, he was asked if he would vote for, for Nancy Pelosi as, as House leader. And he said, oh, I haven't given that any thought. He seems to dodge a lot of these very controversial questions, which honestly is, uh, you know, maybe not so great for us in the press, but it is probably a, a smart move tactically when you don't want it. Because right now he can't he can't alienate the the sort of anti-Trump liberal bit all this money and is really boosting him. But he also needs to win over a lot of moderate and even Republican leaning voters if he wants to to win in, in June. Enjoy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Ossoff is, is an interesting candidate. But I think also to your point that, uh, you know, even if Ossoff doesn't quite um a win in June. I do think that you are going to see. I think that these closer than expected results in Kansas and Georgia, um, even if they they might just be moral victories in the moment, I think that they will encourage other people who are maybe on the fence about running, saying, "Oh, you know, I know this district has maybe gone Republican in the past, but yeah. clearly there is is some sort of movement against Trump happening. Maybe I can sort of ride that into office." So I think it, it will help for fundraising and recruiting moving forward, no matter the results. Yeah. You talk about when you listen to John Ossoff, by the way. He's been on TV a lot lately the past couple of days. I watched him on CNN yesterday as well. He sounds like a white Barack Obama. Did you notice that, the way he talks? Uh, I'm looking forward to what will be a spirited debate. I'm looking forward to continuing to work with the team of thousands of folks who are giving so much. <laughs> I hear it. And, yeah, and, he, and, hear that, it. and it works. It I works. Hear it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he is very much the way he talks. Whenever I am listening to his interviews, it seems like he's just very much moving from sort of talking point to talking point to yeah. talking point, and done. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's not going to yeah, say yeah, anything yeah, yeah. beyond that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I, I don't, I don't know, know John Ossoff personally. Um, you know, if he's listening to this, I'd be happy to to, to talk to him and, and, and interview him. But um, but but again, I think that this is going to be it, it will be an interesting test because in a lot of ways, it is just sort of your. Uh, relatively generic mm-hmm. Democratic candidate versus relatively generic Republican. Yeah, I'm candidate. not trying to to talk smack about. No, yeah, Ossoff. yeah. I just, I just, you know, like th- this is something we're going to see more and more and more. If people who I know who are just like, I have to run for office, <laughs> right? <laughs> like people and, and, are freaking out. And yeah, and that's what Democrats need, right? That this yeah. has been their their huge problem. Uh, has been just just recruitment and the, the bench has been so thin, you know, really ever since um, Obama took office, the, the bench has been largely depleted. And and you look at I'm um, kind of getting back to my point earlier about where you have a lot of House seats that are going to be up in 2018, where the Republican may have won last November, but Hillary Clinton actually carried the district at the presidential level. A lot of that comes down to the, the candidates that you put up. You know, the environment may be favorable. That's one thing. But you also got to produce a candidate that can, you know, inspire enough people to come out and vote for you and, and defeat an, an yeah. incumbent, which is no uh, easy task. You mentioned um, the name of Bernie Sanders yes. when we were talking about John Ossoff. 
Bernie is uh, or hit the road with Tom Perez, the head of the DNC, to try and sort of corral the Bernie enthusiasm. It, Bernie's got a really weird identity right now. I think Bernie has a really, mm-hmm. really weird identity right now because, you know, Democrats, I think, have a very serious problem about who is the face of the party now. Who Who is the face of the Democratic Party? Uh, there, I don't think you can point to one you particular can't. person. You really can't. And I think a lot of people would like that to be Bernie, but Bernie's also not a Democrat, which exactly. a lot of people right. will, will... A lot of people are still upset about yeah, that. Yeah, a little heated about. <laughs> they still get a little heated about. Yeah. And that's fine. I, that's that's fair. I think that's a fair criticism. But it, you, you definitely have two paths for Democrats, right? You can either double down on these sort of centrist Democrat Democratic policies of like a Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, right? And you could say, okay, well, while we lost the election, we won the popular vote by a lot, um, and that should we should strengthen that and build out from there, or we should just say, okay, all right total new direction we realize that we got to go way harder to the left which way are they going to go that's a, that's a great question and and another thing i mean in 2018 it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see which direction they go because it gets to kind of the, the dynamic in this georgia six race with john ossoff where clearly the there is this you know newfound energy on the left uh, you know very anti-trump um, that has, you know, emerged after the election and has, you know, has gotten behind candidates in Kansas and in Georgia. And that's great. And that's going to get that, that's going to get Democrats up to a certain point in these really competitive Senate and House races. But then to get over to get over that the edge, especially in some of these districts and and Senate seats that have maybe leaned Republican over the years, you know, you're going to need a more moderate message to to. Uh, bring those more Republican-leaning voters o- over to your camp. So it's going to be a really interesting to see how they walk that tightrope. Now, I think the Bernie Sanders of, of the world might say, well, a you know, if we just push a really liberal message, I think, and uh, liberal, you know, more like populist message, sure. that's, that's going to bring over people who maybe voted for Trump last time, and we don't need to moderate on certain issues. But um, I don't know how that's going to play in, in, in Georgia 6, for instance, or, or districts that sort of these suburban affluent districts that look a lot like that. Um, you know, these are not necessarily the areas that where Bernie Sanders um, found a constituency when he ran for president. Right. So, yeah. So uh, just to totally honestly answer your question, I don't really know which which direction they're going to go in. And I we think appreciate yeah. your honesty. <laughs> exactly. We appreciate it. Um, but th- they're going to have to walk this tightrope, I think, moving forward into 2018. It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Um, <clears throat> resist resistance. That is sort of the phrase that pays these days. Yes. Uh, you are the congressional correspondent for National Journal, Adam Wallner. Follow him on Twitter, at Adam Wallner, W-O-L-L-N-E-R. Um, who's leading this in Congress for the Democrats? Who is trying to shut down the Trump agenda? Because um, we we saw Democrats actually get it together enough to say, we're going to block Neil Gorsuch. And then, of course, Mitch McConnell used the nuclear option and blew that all to hell. So we're sort of in this new weird era of Congress. And while the Democrats seem to have a pretty coherent message of we just want to stop everything that Trump wants to do, uh, how successful is that going to be and who's sort of leading that fight? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, because right now I I see kind of a a split there in terms of you have kind of the old guard um, of the Democrats in Congress, you know, who's currently still in leadership positions, you know, the Chuck Schumers, Nancy Pelosi's who have been around uh, forever. But at the same time, you also have sort of, you know, these rising stars moving through the ranks, some very young senators, you know, you look at 
folks like uh, Kamala Harris, yeah. uh, you know, Chris Murphy, sort of the, you know, you have a lot of senators who I think um, are, are on kind of like a level playing field in terms of they're relatively new to the Senate. They're still kind of trying to find their voice. You know, Kristen Gillibrand, I think, would be another example there of, of an up and coming senator. And and some of those senators that have been very, you know, Kristen Gillibrand, I think, voted against uh, most of, of Trump's cabinet picks, if, if not close to all of them. And, I, you know, the Chris Murphy's Kamala Harris were also in the same boat. And that was kind of used as an early litmus test to, uh, of your opposition to, to the Trump administration. Uh, but but again, you know, you know, this and this speaks to the state of the Democratic Party at large that there, you know, the, right now there, there isn't one clear leader. I suppose you could point to, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens, Bernie Sanders as sort of the leaders of the progressive wing of, of the party. I don't know if they speak for the entire party yet, at least at, at this point. So I think that there's going to be a lot of jockeying going on over the next year or two, especially leading up yeah. into the 2020 primary of, um, you know, who is, you know, who who is sort of the best at opposing Trump? Who is the most effective at it? And who, who's, who's the most e- effective spokesperson now for where the Democratic Party wants to move going forward? Right now, you, you can't point to just one person. Yeah, I think the if there's anybody that's leading the Democratic Party, it's uh, protesters. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And what I think is really interesting about all this is that, you know, you look at what the Tea Party got accomplished after Barack Obama was elected. You have to say the Tea Party accomplished a whole lot, mm-hmm. resulting in, like, where we are now with the presidency and the House and the Senate. But they lifted protest tactics directly from, like, liberals, right? Sure. <laughs> right? Like, this is, like, liberals know how to protest. Yeah, exactly. They've been doing it for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, here we are, and you've got liberals who are outraged, or progressives who are outraged uh, over Donald Trump, and they know how to protest. They're really turning up, and they're really uh, making their voices heard. And I think this purely grassroots, sort of even maybe frustration or anger-based movement is really powerful stuff. It's really, really powerful stuff. And that, I think, is going to be the guiding uh, principle of elected Democrats from here on out is really taking the temperature of your base, really taking the temperature of these people who are showing up to protest. Like, that's where the party is, I think. Yeah, I, th- I, I absolutely think that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, even uh, – and, and the, the protests haven't really let up either, you know. That's – Right. The interesting you thing. Know, we're we're in, uh, towards the end of April here, and I, there, there was a big. Um, There's a uh, science t- march. T- yeah, the tomorrow. science march is, is this weekend. Uh, the tax day march was last week, and I actually actually happened to to be on on the mall last weekend, unknowowing that there was going to oh, be no. a protest. And I sort of <laughs> like, oh man, like the, the streets are, are filled here. So yeah, and, and, but the question is, I guess how how far can you keep this momentum going? And this and again, this circles back to some of the special elections we have coming up. You know, for Democrats, is it enough just to come close? Right. Do, you know, does John Ossoff right. need to win in Georgia six, even though it is a, a tough district? A Republican should probably win there. But also, does he need to win in order to keep that momentum going? Because, you know, if, if we do get to June. Yeah. And, and, and let's, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's say, OK, Kansas was close. Montana was close. Yeah. Georgia was close. But we weren't quite able to get there. Are you know, is the frustration going to boil over? Everybody's point? sort of pinning their hopes on a 2018 sweep for Democrats, which is. Highly unlikely. We just need to accept that. If I know that the audience is predominantly <laughs> progressive, I'm speaking to y'all. It's gonna be tough, okay? But you're right. At some point, you got to start seeing some wins. So the next big sort of test would be this runoff with Ossoff and Handel, right? 
Yes, and then, and then but you also have the special election in in Montana. Montana. Uh, in I think May twenty fifth is the date for oh, that. Right, and okay. Montana's interesting too. You know, even though it's uh, the, the House seat hasn't gone for a Democrat, I think since the nineties. I mean, Montana elect you know it's, it's an at large district, and Montana elects Democrats statewide all the time. They just mm. did it uh, in twenty sixteen. Uh, re-electing Governor Bullock, and he actually defeated the guy, Greg Gianforte, who was running for this House seat. So Democrats have oh, a very wow. recent history of actually defeating this guy. And so, and, and you saw this week um, uh, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee is now spending in that race. Republican outside groups are spending there. So, that, you know, that'll be another test as well. It, it's, it's it, you know, Georgia 6, a lot of people like to point to that one because it's, it's, it's the type of district that Democrats uh, will have a lot of opportunities in. In 2018, Montana is, is a little bit different mm. in that regard. It, it still is clearly a much more rural state. But, um, but you know, the Democrats sh- should have an opportunity in that race. Again, it's, you know, they're not going to be favored. It's going to be an uphill climb. But, uh, they, they, you know, they have a shot to, to make some noise in this Montana race as well. Good stuff, Adam. I appreciate you coming in, man. We'll, we'll continue to follow this, and hopefully you'll uh, be along for the ride with us. Please come back and talk more about this. Yeah, we'll do. Thanks, Peter. All right. Keep an eye on this stuff, uh, where Congress is going in these special elections as we lead up to 2018. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking to... Dara Lind from Vox. We're going to speak about immigration and uh, some of the things that happened this week with that. And also Angelo Corazon from Media Matters for joining us. We'll be joining us in the next hour. Stay tuned. Very quick break. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Three months ago, I started having money problems. Ever since then, I've had a pretty hard time keeping up with the bills. The worst part is I can't make the house payments. So when the phone started to ring and I knew it was the mortgage people calling, I didn't pick it up. I just couldn't. And the notices were coming in the mail too. Lots of them. Now I may lose my house and I don't know what to do. If you're facing foreclosure, Doing nothing only puts you deeper in the hole. Now's the time to dig yourself out. Call 1-888-995-HOPE today. That's 1-888-995-4673. Because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWorks, the Ad Council, and this station. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Okay, all right, here we go. It's The Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. Friday, April 21st. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Uh, We've got lots and lots and lots of stuff to talk about today. We're joined by Explainerd for Vox. Dara Lynn. Hi, Dara. Hi, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. First visit to the show. Yes, indeed. And you're here with the JV team. Bill is out, <laughs> so you got me today. I'm so sorry. It's yeah, Look, it's going to be fine. I don't know what I'm doing, but that's all right. We'll figure it out. 
It'll be a journey. Like no one else in Washington. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I figure if, you know, the president doesn't know what he's doing, they could just put me behind a microphone. What, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, run of the board this morning and doing oh so much more is Jamie Benson. Jamie, hello. Good morning, Peter. It still kind of smells like weed in here after yesterday. Well, you have some weed in your backpack, don't you? Always. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't think we smoked all the joints either. No, we have a couple joints in here, too, yeah. still from yesterday. We had a 420 special, which you can watch, uh, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, Bill got baked yesterday. That's what it really comes Just down please to. don't use it as evidence in court, uh, a la Alex Jones. We should delete this. In his custody trial video this week, After, so. like, a certain period of time. Uh, we're going to talk about immigration and uh, lots and lots of other things with Dara Lind coming up. But first, Jamie has another headline. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. Um, big sports news this week outside of the Patriots visiting the White House was Aaron Hernandez, their former tight end, uh, killing himself in prison. Uh, he was acquitted, of course, uh, last week of uh, double murder. He was serving time for the original murder that he was convicted for. However, news yesterday, we're learning that uh, Boston University researchers will be studying Hernandez's brain uh, for CTE. So Ooh. this is a good thing. Uh, Aaron Hernandez, uh, it's no argument here. He was a pretty horrible person, but uh, he did play football. Uh, it would be nice to use his brain for research to sure. figure out how to prevent uh, concussions, uh, brain damage, and and the like in the future. That's interesting. All right, yeah. yeah. But there's, I guess there's some type of a public dispute uh, between mass authorities and uh, Massachusetts authorities, excuse me, and uh, the family of Aaron Hernandez uh, as to who the brain belongs to. I believe the family is going to be the ones that passes it on uh, huh. to the university. So That's interesting. Weird. Interesting. Seems like maybe you could get the family's permission first. Before yeah, you that, yes. yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. 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 That seems like the right course of action. And For any brain researchers listening today, take yeah. this as a lesson. We have such a huge following in the brain research community. You wouldn't believe it. It's spectacular. Uh, news out of Australia today: uh, a new Legoland Discovery Center opened in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, however, there are some uh, adult men that are unhappy about restrictions oh, that have boy. been put in place. Okay, I, I already have you read the story. Adult yet? men be complaining. There go ahead. Go. So, uh, the Discovery Center has has a rule uh, when it comes to the playground area that uh, if you are not 16 or under, you cannot use the playground area. Pretty simple, right? Lego <laughs> Land is primarily for children. Uh, however, a group of, uh, as <laughs> Gizmodo puts it, grown-ass men, uh, feel like they're being discriminated against and are upset that they're not able to use the playground area. Uh, Legoland has announced that they will be having an adult night, one night a week, so these men can visit the playground at that time. But they are absolutely appalled, quote-unquote, the fact that they are unable to enter without somebody under the age of 16. So, wow. What is wrong with people? My biggest question is why the cutoff here is 16. Like, 15-year-old <laughs> Lego nerds are not going to be that much less obsessive about their Legos than 30-year-old Lego nerds. Absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And finally, uh, news, I guess, out of Seattle, Starbucks. You guys heard about this unicorn frappuccino? I have heard about this. Unicorn frappuccino, all a bunch of different I colors. I don't think it's for me. Apparently, it's very difficult to make. One uh, 19-year-old Colorado Starbucks barista named Braden Burson uh, put a video on Twitter earlier this week complaining about how stressful <laughs> it is to make one of these drinks. It's incredibly difficult. He says he had um, was it glitter in his hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, sticky hands and residue from the drink. It's happened. So don't order the unicorn frappuccino. It takes too much work for your Starbucks barista, especially if everybody else in line is ordering it. I don't think I'm going to drink one of those things. Always did the barista, though. Always.
I got in a real fight with somebody about this one. Though. Hang on, we're gonna take a very, very quick break. We'll continue this conversation. Hang on. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show, five minutes past the hour on a Friday, April 21st. Thank you all so much for listening or watching, whether you're watching us on YouTube, on the Young Turks Network, or uh, on Facebook Live, or listening to us on one of our radio stations or streaming or podcasts, whatever, man. We're, we're everywhere. Thanks for uh, taking the Bill Press Show and welcoming it into your life. Jamie just did the story about the... Uh, what are they called? The rainbow? What are they called? Unicorn the ra- frappuccinos. Unicorn frappuccinos. Uh, Dara Lend, explainerd for Vox, is in the studio with us. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at DLend, and read uh, her good, good work at Vox.com. So what... Yeah, one, one more thing on the frappuccino, because I didn't really explain what it is. If, you, if you've I seen can, it, you kind of understand what it, it is. It looks like a, like a rainbow, basically. It's a sweet and sour pink and blue cream swirl topped with what Starbucks calls fairy powder. As far as I can tell, they basically re-engineered a slushy. Yeah. yeah. Someone told me it tasted like a mix between a cake, like cake batter, and like a slushy, like a sour raspberry slushy. It looks incredibly unhealthy. I don't want that. Well, I just, so it just can, doesn't sound good. You can get good. one of those at 7-Eleven and not make some poor, you know, like tip wage paid barista spend five minutes making it. Jamie, exactly. Jamie, you always tip your barista? Um. Ooh. Well, yeah, not at Starbucks. I don't go to Starbucks, but yeah. Well, yeah, I just made your burger. Ever since they introduced the iPad screens with the, you know, you just 10, add the dollar on or the t- yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, feel, I, real- I feel a little conflicted about that, but the the setting up the screen thing. But what do you mean? I don't know. It's it's like a it's like a new culture in in uh, in coffee shops. I'm not the biggest fan. What of are you it. talking about? Come on, you, 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 you're not that. You're, you're a young man. I know it's just like it forces you into it. It's it's like a. Guilt I'm much thing. older than you, and I'm not terrified by that. And I'm terrified by a lot of things. Well, I'm a millennial. It's my fault. It's always my. It's always our fault. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I don't think I'm going to try one of those unicorn frappuccinos. Right? Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, Daryl Lind is with us not to talk about frappuccinos. Sadly, not, Sadly. not today. And we can talk about it. We're really rolling in the deep there on frappuccinos, but. We're going to talk about uh, other important things. I want to talk to you about, um, first of all, just immigration in general. We're going to start (laughs) with immigration. But Trump's H-1B visa executive order. You, because you are an explainer at Vox, which I love. Yeah, it is. Uh, But you explained what this really is, what this is actually, uh, what this actually is, this hire American, buy American What's behind this? So, okay. So, first of all, this did not need to be an executive order, right? This is Donald Trump doing something that another president would just say, you know, would send out a memo saying, you guys should review these programs. But because Mm -hmm. it's Donald Trump, he wanted to make a big deal. And he wanted to do that because, you know, he and others in his administration have been talking for a while about workers in tech and other, you know, lucrative fields being brought over from other countries instead of those jobs going to, like, good, you know, well-trained Americans here at home. And this is the worst thing in the world, according to Republicans. I mean, for Republicans like Steve Bannon, it is a big problem, right? There are are definitely a lot of Republicans who now are ascendant in the party for whom, you know, legal immigration, especially legal immigration of high-skilled workers, is a problem 
maybe secondary to unauthorized immigration, but it is still like an existential threat to the future of the country. So what Trump, what President Trump is doing is basically saying, find some ways to improve this. There's nothing specific in the executive order about what he wants the government to do. But they've kind of dropped hints that they want to change the way that these visas are given out so that they can make sure that they're only going to, you know, quote, the the most educated and highest paid workers. The way th- there's not really argument like there are lots of Democrats that agree. There are lots of progressives that agree. There are lots of tech companies that agree that there are problems with this program, because right now the companies that are getting the most visas are largely staffing companies. They're contractors. They really are dependent on these workers. Uh, and so that kind of they've taken this kind of market opportunity to pay workers maybe a little bit less than they would have to pay <laughs> Americans. Um but there are also companies like, you know, tech giants like Google and Apple, but also lots of startups, lots of small businesses, lots of nonprofits that are trying to get ways for their, you know, to fill positions for highly skilled workers or to get particular people who they have already, you know, who they want to keep in the country, who they mm-hmm. already have on a visa, who are kind of getting locked out. So as far as they're concerned, it would be great to reform the H-1B visa program so that, you know, they could get those visas. But the Steve Bannons of the world would like to have a system where fewer foreign workers get visas, period. So what's kind of unclear is when the Trump administration finally does say, here's what we want to do to change the H-1B, which of those roads it's going to go down and what particular what the effects of its policies are going to be on the, you know, tech giants of the world who would be who literally, you know, the first time Trump met with tech CEOs during the transition, one of the things that they brought to the table was, look, you got to fix H-1B. It's killing us. And it's not clear that he got that message in the same way they intended it. You know, it's so this, I think, is far more nefarious than some of the other Trump things, because like, you know, the Muslim ban or the travel ban or whatever he wants to call it. Um, I think he can hide behind the terrorism thing, right? Or the illegal immigration executive orders, right? To try and stop that down or to, you know, deport people back. He can hide behind the fact that, like, there there is a vague law there that they're breaking. But this is, like, sort of what's baked into what's good about the country, right? I mean, really and truly, because, like, you know, people – these are people coming here legally – and to have a better life, and that's always the talking point you hear from Republicans when they talk about undocumented workers who are here. They just say, you know, come here legally. You know, we accept those people. We'd love to have you here. Come here. Go through the process. Look at these people. They did this the right way. What's wrong with that? And now they're cracking down on that. So I do want to say, because I think a lot of people misunderstand the way that this works, it's really, it's not actually easy to immigrate here permanently if you want, if you have an H-1B. As a matter of fact, to get one, you have to tell customs when you're coming into the country that you do not intend to to my, settle here permanently. Wait, really? Yeah, no, because it's a non-immigrant Jesus. visa. Yeah, uh, sure. So then if you do want to settle here permanently, which maybe you wanted all along, but you weren't allowed to say that, uh, your employer <laughs> has to agree to sponsor you for a green card. So there is kind of this power dynamic issue where many people who are here on H-1Bs or who have had H-1Bs in the past and got lucky and got green cards think that the program needs to be changed because you do want like you want people who are coming here to settle here and to continue to make and spend money in the U.S. instead of kind of having to get shipped through as as just labor. But I think that like the terrorism thing there, all it takes is one horror story. Right. And in the case of H-1Bs, there was this case that came out a year or two ago where Disney 
you know, fired a bunch of employees and had 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 hired had contracted out their jobs to a firm that it turned out relied on H-1B labor. And there was a big 60 Minutes thing there. Were, you know, this is what Trump brings up all the time as like, oh, American workers are being pushed out and foreign workers are being brought in. And again, most of the employers who are, you know, lobbying on Capitol Hill to expand H-1B don't want to be doing that. But all it takes is kind of that one example of, oh, unscrupulous employers are trying to undercut your wages by bringing in these people who don't need to be paid as much. Yeah, we've heard that story. <laughs> it's like one of their favorite ones to throw around. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned again the the executive order, how it just sort of outlines what he would like to have. This is sort of a trend with Trump, by the way, with his executive orders, is they're very vague. They don't get. I mean, they like it's it's a great optic for him, and that he can go up and you've you've seen what he does. He just he shows up and he holds this thing up and he shows everybody this big dumb piece. We have piece so of paper. many images in Getty of Donald Trump with a generic piece of paper. It's great. Yeah, I love the one where you like you know you could enter in your own stuff onto it, right? But like it's a good optic for him, but it's not really getting a lot of stuff done. I mean, the alternative. I mean, just look at the Muslim or the travel ban. Tra- travel ban. Right. Well, th- those were. I mean, those were very specific policies. They just got yeah, struck right, down sure in court, know. right? Yeah. So you can yeah, make yeah, the yeah. argument yeah, yeah. that if you're just telling, like, the the logic behind this is that in at some point, the relevant cabinet departments, DHS, the DOJ, the Department of Labor, are going to come back with like two lists, and one list is going to be here's what we can do through regulation, mm-hmm. excuse, me, and the other list is going to be here's what we have to ask Congress for. It it's. It sure sounds like the hints that they're dropping about like making sure things go to the highest educated and best paid people. I've definitely had some immigration lawyers tell me they're going to try to do that through regulation. And that is not they have to ask Congress for that because the, the letter of the law is that anybody who is that they have to grant H-1B visas to in the order they're received to anybody who meets the basic requirements. Um, so they you know, they might try to do that and end up with a court battle. But it. You know, if you're the Trump administration and you're coming in with very little government experience and you don't necessarily and you have an extremely expansive view of the powers of the executive branch, Mm -hmm. it kind of seems like at this point in the presidency, the options are to either shoot first and ask questions later, like they did with the travel ban, or to announce that they're going to ask questions and kind of have that be the story so that they can kind of declare victory and do things on their own time. This makes my head hurt, honestly. It's just, it's so, I mean, I, I mean, obviously it's different, but it also is just, it's so, uh, I don't know. Hey, look, here, let me ask you this. Uh, talk to me about how the policies of Barack Obama have uh, played into what Trump is doing. Because Barack Obama was known as the deporter in chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of progressives had a big problem with how he handled some of the immigration stuff. Um are we seeing sort of the ghosts of Barack Obama's presidency sort of in Donald Trump's? I think that I, I, what I'm trying to say is I think that the fact that Barack Obama was so tone deaf on immigration that it helped pave the way for a guy like Donald Trump. I'm not necessarily sure that that's true politically. I think that we kind of saw the seeds of what was happening. I think that Donald Trump's rise needs to be understood as he didn't have a really strong sense of 
politics. Mm. He had a sense of marketing. And when he launched when he jumped into the race with, you know, a very rambling speech that's been remembered for, you know, Mexico's not sending their best people, but where there was a lot of stuff that was just way beyond oh, the yeah. extreme. But that's but Mexico's not sending their best people was what the media picked up on to bash him. Mm. And it's what a core of people within the Republican Party really seized on to to, to make him be their champion. And I think that, you know, you can kind of hear and you could hear when he first jumped into the race, some of his rhetoric about he didn't realize how many people cared about this. I think that's true. I think that he discovered this core group of supporters and that that, you know, which is really an intro Republican fight that goes back to George W. Bush's attempts to pass comprehensive immigration reform, that that has really inspired him. But I do think on policy, you know, there was a piece, the, the Washington Post got some numbers from Immigration and Customs Enforcement at the beginning of the week showing that arrests by ICE are up 35% over 2016. But there's still, ICE is still arresting fewer people than they were in 2014 at this time. Uh, and that makes all the sense in the world to me and to other people who have been watching because Obama was extremely aggressive on deportations through the first six years of his presidency. And then at the end of 2014, finally sent out a series of memos that actually laid very clear priorities for who should and shouldn't be deported. And then you saw a real drop in the number of people who were residents of the U.S., uh, you know, who had been not not legally speaking, but who had lived in the U.S. for, for a long time and didn't necessarily have, you know, serious criminal records getting deported. And those are the people who are kind of you know, the people who ICE might have come into contact with in 2015, 2016 and decided not to deport or mm -hmm. who they, you know, became aware of because they learned that they had already gotten final orders of deportation, but kind of didn't send people to go after them. Those are the people that ICE is picking up right now. So it's a lot of, you know, what you might consider low hanging fruit, but they're people who would have been deported had they been picked up, you know, in, in many cases in 2013 or 2014. All right. Uh, switching gears a little bit. You yeah. have a, a piece, The Mysterious Case of Deported Dreamer, mm -hmm. Juan Manuel Montez. Uh, for all the piling on I just did of Barack Obama, he did seem to do pretty well with the Dreamer stuff, right? Like, we weren't deporting kids uh, who were born here or brought here, uh, but now we're heading in that direction. This is the first Dreamer we've seen deported, right? Right. There have, Under been, Trump, there have been a couple of cases where uh, people who have, you know, d deferred action for childhood arrivals, which is the actual, you know, grant that was given under the Obama administration to people who kind of met these qualifications. There are people who meet the qualifications who haven't necessarily, you know, applied for protection. So mm. that's kind of a different category. But it's there have been a couple of cases of people who have protection um, getting arrested and detained. And they've kind of been able to, you know, they've fought their cases uh, none of them have got, has gotten deported yet. And then this case came to light this week of something that happened last month where a dreamer who lives in, you know, way Southern California, right by the border. Um, what he alleges that he was just picked up by ICE when he was waiting for a ride or by, by Customs and Border Protection. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, and that they then, you know, deported him within a few hours after making him sign some papers he then tried to come back to the U.S. because he had lived here since he was nine, yeah. and they caught him climbing over the fence and deported him again. Customs and Border Protection doesn't says they have no record of the kind of picking him up by the side of the road. That They say that all they know is that he was climbing over the fence, and if that was true, if he like went to Mexico just of his own free will for some reason, then he forfeited his DACA status because that prevents you from leaving the country without permission. So I, you know, it's... 
it really comes down to a question of what happened on February 17th. But mm. the reason that this is so worrisome, in addition to the big question of did Customs and Border Protection really deport someone and then lie about it, um, you know, it, that that aside, the reason that— By the way, I believe that. I, you know, I am not going to— I don't, I, I, I'm yeah, just saying no, me personally, I totally There have been that. cases in the past of CBP getting uh, sanctioned for— destroying or misplacing records and it certainly doesn't inspire confidence in them that they initially said that he that his uh protection had expired entirely uh they actually like made this big deal of you know saying telling the daily caller that the initial story in usa today was wrong and he didn't actually have daca status and then the next day they said uh we checked our records and it turns out that he did um which it doesn't it doesn't inspire confidence i for one am shocked that this would happen (laughs) um but it is you know it's also plausible that this this uh, this dreamer Juan Montez has a cognitive disability. It's mm, entirely mm. possible that that what actually happened is something that we just don't know yet. Yeah. That like there was some misunderstanding, or that you know you don't necessarily have to believe that he is like nefariously lying to believe that something happened here. But that aside, the reason that DACA needed to exist to begin with was because President Obama spent his first term saying we're not deporting students and students would stand up when he did town halls and like show him their notices to appear in immigration court and say, well, then what the heck is this? Right. And, you know, the problem was that ICE field agents didn't necessarily feel that they, you know, didn't feel that Obama's rhetoric compelled them to not deport people who were deportable. So this kind of you have to you can affirmatively apply and then you have something that should protect you if agents come to your door. So something like this where, you know, or even some of the other cases of of dreamers who have been detained where it seems like they're trying to find reasons to strip people of their of their protections are extremely worrisome to, you know, all of the 750,000 people who in theory, have this piece of paper saying you shouldn't get deported, you know, between now and X date, but in practice are not having the kind of psychological benefits that come with that protection. And, you know, there's been social science that this is that that really even above and beyond the kind of being able to work in the U.S. legally, that the feeling of security is extremely important in helping yeah. these people who, you know, otherwise would be living with a great deal of stress every day. We never talk about that. We don't talk about that. That's absolutely true. This is going to be, I mean, if you look at the history of U.S. immigration policy, we are hitting a, you know, 30 years since the last substantial immigration reform. If you can, you know, the the Reagan amnesty in 86. And that's an extremely long period of time that is more or less unprecedented. It, it's, it's the first time that we've had an a population that's unauthorized in the U.S. that has not been able to get legal, um, largely because, wow. or like, you know, just yeah, on, yeah, yeah, on no. mass hasn't been able to, because in 1996, a law made it a lot harder. It used to be a lot easier if you lived here in, in the U.S. for 10 years to kind of come through a back door and get legal status. And that became a lot more difficult. So I think that we're really going to end up seeing in the years and decades to come, um, and this is something I've written about a little, but that I and others, I think, are going to be writing about, you know, more as this continues to be a thing. Um the effects of really a generation of people who have grown up in the U.S. and who are now having children themselves uh, without having the benefits of legal status and with having this kind of constant fear of deportation hanging over their heads. That's heavy. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the morning zoo. Uh, no, I mean, look, this is important stuff. And, and I think you bring up a lot of things that we don't 
usually think about when we think about this immigration stuff. Really and truly, I think this is important stuff. Um, you know what I find, like, re I, when I look at what Trump is doing, it's just so uh, nakedly cruel, I think. I, I think that there are ways to approach, like, if you are someone who thinks that immigration needs to be completely overhauled and reformed, that we have too many people coming across the border of Mexico and all that type of stuff, okay, fine. Uh, but it is it, it it does seem to be that the Trump administration is taking a particularly cruel stance on it, which I think is really weird when you look at where the Republican Party was after Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney and the Republican Party did their autopsy and said, we have got to reach out to the Latino community. We cannot continue to treat them uh, the way that we do as a party. And they only got worse. And they elected a candidate who has been so bad on that stuff. And here we are. So, like, now what? Was that BS? I mean, it is. It, I think that a lot of people remember that one bit from the GOP autopsy because it was the only time that they actually said, here is a policy that we think the Republican Party should take. But there was a lot more in the report. I actually I went back and revisited it last year because I was having the same thoughts that you were. And there's also a bunch in there about maybe we shouldn't have nominated this guy who everyone thought was a plutocrat. Maybe we should have somebody who speaks better to the concerns of downwardly mobile and middle-class white people. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, I think, I think that, I think that yeah. report gets something, I, I mean, either a bad rap or Donald Trump gets a bad rap because that there is, they're definitely, they did predict one of the problems that their next nominee <laughs> solved for better <laughs> or worse. But um, I think that, this, I, you know, coming back to what we were talking about with like the the business concerns about H one B, that's really going to be the the arena in which mm. you know there are congressional Republicans who have been fighting to, you know, when when Trump said during his joint address to Congress that we're going to have merit based immigration, a lot of Republicans have been using that talking point to mean more high skilled immigration, less family based immigration, and R like sure. if he's then going to turn around and ask them to cut high skilled immigration, that's asking for a fight. It's asking for a fight with a lot of the you know the the tech CEOs who he really enjoys being able to like you know <laughs> shoot with you know right. like just talk to on a casual basis. So if he if he does go after that, I think it's going to force you know. There are definitely a lot of Republicans who are unwilling to pick a fight with the administration on a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, they they did nominate a secretary of labor who was a like for like full throated, you know, supporter of low skilled immigration. But then he had to withdraw his nomination. Uh, so they don't have that. But, you know, and the other kind of Republicans who believe that it's a good thing to have lots of immigrants in the U.S., they haven't wanted to pick a fight yet. But, you know, I think you'll see that if. If they are going after the thing, if they stop using the language of immigration reform, you know, generally and mm -hmm. start going after things that the Daryl Isis of the world think are actually extremely important, then it's going to certainly force a moment of reckoning for at least some people in the Republican Party. I don't know that you're going to see, you know, the establishment rise up and swallow the White House whole or anything like that. But I think it's going to be more of an open conflict than we've seen so far. I think the other thing is that the border wall um is not something that a lot of Republican appropriators particularly want to pay for. And it's something that Texas Republicans 
in particular are concerned about because it's their constituents who would have their land seized by the state. Uh, so if they if they want to push hard on that, and it looks like they might be doing that this you know this week with the pending shutdown, that might be something where they decide where where they are picking a fight within their party, whether they know it or not. You actually walked right into where I wanted to go next. Amazingly prescient on your part. Uh, I, the wall. Yeah. Say it with me. What are we gonna do? We're gonna build a wall. Who's gonna pay for it? Mexico. And yet. <laughs> Here we are. I am maybe We're gonna the only pay person on this... the planet still defending the Trump administration on that particular point. Really? Yeah, because here's the deal. The Trump it's administration, in the budget. It's in they, his proposed they budget. Never, they, they said very early on in the campaign that this wasn't necessarily they wouldn't build the wall until Mexico paid for it. Right. right. OK. Um, so so it's entirely I don't know that they I think that they're still overplaying their hand with Mexico in a lot of ways. And I think that while um Something that has actually happened over the last week uh, has been that some cabinet members are beginning to talk a lot, are bashing Mexico a lot less and kind of talking about Mexico as a partner to fight Central America a lot Mm -hmm. more. So I think they're realizing that maybe bullying Mexico into paying for the wall was not going to work. But, you know, there are ways. I don't think that Mexico will ultimately pay for it. I do think that they might make an effort to make Mexico pay for it that they haven't yet. But the real question here is, you can't make Mexico pay for something that you have no idea how much it's going to cost. Right. And they clearly don't, right? Senate Democrats came out with a report this week saying it's going to cost $70 billion. Personally, that seems extremely low to me, given yeah. that the last time they made a big investment in border security on like technology and things, it cost $1 billion and it ended up as a one-mile pilot project. So if it costs $1 billion for one mile, and there are 1,900 miles along the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and of course, that's maybe they'll have better oversight this time. Maybe the Department of Homeland Security will be much better managed than it has been in the past. I wouldn't put any money on that. Um, but they, I'll give they you clearly that. I- are building the wall first and asking questions later. They're yes. like, you know, they've already put out proposal requests for proposals. Uh, and only the day before they f- the formal request for proposal came out, did they say, oh, well, maybe it doesn't have to be concrete. Which, given that border agents themselves, who are allies of the Trump administration, yeah. have been saying, we don't want a wall we can't see through because then people will throw rocks over <laughs> it and we won't know where the rocks are coming from. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's not at all clear that the people who are who have been told to go full steam ahead on this are actually doing the work of talking to the people who would be affected. Yeah. No. Did you see the like the criteria that the Trump administration put out for those who are uh, taking um, like building prototypes, right? That want to mm-hmm. build it. It's just imposing, very Trumpian. It's all yeah, very no, Trumpy. Yeah. It, no. It, it's supposed to be aesthetically pleasing on the U.S. Oh, on the U.S. side. side. Yeah. 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 Screw um, the. Screw the. And other, they're really look. I mean, if they can, there are some definite requirements in there. And if somebody can come up with a proposal that is transparent, but also is resistant to drilling from hand tools for thirty minutes, which is what the like non-concrete pr- prototype says, like that would actually be a legitimate like t- technological yeah. improvement. Um, I would be very impressed, given that the kind of big deal contractors don't appear to be touching this with a 10-foot pole. Right. I'm surpri- I would be surprised if that happened. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for joining the show. First time on the show. Thank you. Please come back again. Absolutely. Dara okay. Land from, uh, from Vox. Go to Vox.com or follow her on Twitter at D-Lind, L-I-N-D. And uh, my name is Peter Rogers. Make sure you follow on the show at BP Show. We're putting out stuff there. And uh, watching the show, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, part of the Young Turks Network. When we come back, 
we will talk to the president of Media Matters all about Bill O'Reilly. What happens next to Fox News? Stay tuned. It's better and better and better, and it's gotten really, really good, and a lot of people are liking it a lot. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? Or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS? What if you established your own path? One that others might follow? Would you rather make your own way? Or spend your life saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580. Or go to peacecorps.gov. Mantienes tus llaves a la mano, caminas en áreas iluminadas, evitas ver a extraños de frente, cierras tu puerta con una y quizá hasta con dos cerraduras. Ahora piensas que estás segura. Piensa de nuevo, porque si no estás comiendo sano, no te mantienes activa, si fumas o no visitas al doctor, estás poniendo en riesgo tu salud. Infórmate cómo puedes protegerte a ti misma al 1-866-399-6789. Un mensaje de la American Cancer Society, de la American Diabetes Association, de la American Heart Association y del Ad Council. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogbert, sitting in for Bill on this Friday, April 21st. Thank you all so very much for joining us. Quote, 
Without advertisers, Bill O'Reilly's show was no longer commercially viable. Fox News had no choice but to fire O'Reilly. Accountability came from the outside, not from within. Fox News deserves no accolades, only scorn for the industrial-scale harassment they have forced their employees to endure. End quote. Those are the words of Angelo Corzone, the president of Media Matters for America, who is with us in studio right now. Angelo, good morning. Thanks for having me. Follow Angelo on Twitter at GoAngelo, and uh, always check out MediaMatters.org. It's a big, big resource here on the show, uh, and we we love you guys. and think you're doing great, great work. Thank you for all the clips. Yeah, we get a lot of clips. Yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of clips from you guys. Easy served right up. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly is gone. He is gone. End of an era at Fox News. It certainly is. Well, almost. Uh, there's one still vestige of this uh, industrial-scale sexual harassment in Roger Ailes there, and that's the co-president that re-signed his contract just three weeks ago, and that's Bill Shine. Uh, tell me about that. Uh, he is sort of the the big, the, the last piece of this is that you know when Roger Ailes, when all the reports against Roger Ailes last su- summer came out, it was more than two dozen, um, the the person that kept, whose name kept coming up was Bill Shine, who was an executive at the time. Uh, he kind of was really, he's in sort of an, an, uh, a protege of Roger Ailes, and he was involved in sort of retaliation and covering up against these women. Um, and when the reports against Bill O'Reilly came up, his name came up again because he had also been involved in the re- retaliation against these women. He is the co-president of Fox News. Um, I, I think a lot yeah. of people tried to shine. Shine, shine a light on him, on yep. Bill Shine, That's as right. saying like he's the not the Roger Ailes guy. He's going to get Fox News back into shape after Roger Ailes leaves. Yep, he's going to restore some integrity to the network. That's right. And how yeah. long did that last? And not at all. And I th- and just a couple of months. That's right. The reason they were doing it is they wanted to assuage both their audience and their associates that Fox wasn't going to become some radical lefty uh, outlet, right? right? And uh, and that was a big part of it. But ultimately. You know, I mean, Bill O'Reilly going is is important um, because the I, th- there was this notion, one, they were never going to hold him accountable. I mean, they gave him impunity, clearly, because they re-signed his contract. Um, and that's why it had to come from the outside. And that meant a lot of activism, a lot of talking to the advertisers and costing them real money. I mean, they needed to be forced to do this. That, I think, is, uh, is, is, is a big lesson here. Fox News was never going to get rid of Bill no. O'Reilly on his own. No. Or, or on their own. Uh, and so the pressure forced him to do it. When you, p- people were watching Bill O'Reilly's show and the last live shows that he did, and he was doing like one minute commercial breaks. Yeah, there, he they had no they had no advertising. It was very. It was really. It was uncomfortable at some points because you know he typically has between forty and forty four adver- commercials during a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the first week, he started having between like eight and <laughs> ten. Uh, virtually none of them were for products that were. I mean, these are the things you see overnight. You know, I mean, right. um, it was for like an ear cleaner. They're just uh, happy to have the the. Uh, the time on air. Right. I mean, it got so bad at one point that pretty much all the catheter companies dropped him. Um, I mean, that's how... When you've lost the catheter company, <laughs> sir. <laughs> like, it, it was not a good situation. You've lost America. <laughs> but the thing is, they filled that time, and they cut down the commercial breaks, but they also filled the time with promos mm. about how great Bill O'Reilly was and how he dominated cable news. So in the context of all of this, there were these constant like ads about how amazing uh, his program was actually doing from a business perspective in the middle of all of these, like, Empty commercial breaks. Yeah, I mean, it was it was remarkable to watch, um, you know. But I think that you have the right message here. This is not some big uh, moment to applaud Fox News for getting rid of of Bill O'Reilly in the wake of the sexual harassment stuff. They enabled this. Yeah, they uh, really allowed this to happen. Yeah, they facilitated it. Uh, I mean, they it, it, they actually did, and 
That's why I think it's important, one, not to think that the problem is solved, two, to recognize that it's a much deeper issue there. It's an epidemic. And it's not just outsiders and uh, and 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 you know survivors and people that represent survivors that are that are that are concerned about that. It's actually advertisers. I mean, yeah. one of the biggest reasons why Fox got rid of O'Reilly, and let's be clear about this. After a bunch of advertisers dropped him, even when he was costing them, you know, at, at that point, the projections were like somewhere between 10 and 20 million. Obviously, it ended up around 42. Um, they weren't going to drop him either. They were going to weather this storm. Uh, it wasn't until last week that the media buying community started gearing up to drop all of Fox News that Fox was like, we probably need to do something about this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like even after their advertisers walked from O'Reilly, they still weren't going, to your point, get rid of him. They right. were just going to weather it. Yep. They're just uh, going to deal with it. Yeah. yeah absolutely, like it had, man. And so it really needed, like, that's why it escalated because even advertisers were like, I cannot believe the response and reaction we are getting from Fox News. Yeah. Uh, I want to play a couple of clips for you because Sarah Palin, uh, former employee of Fox News, went on CNN with Jake Tapper yesterday, and she first of all talked about the corporate culture at Fox News. I used to be with Fox. Uh, corporate culture there obviously has to change. You know, women don't deserve, they should not ever have to put up with any kind of intimidating workspace. Okay, so that sounds like a pretty you know, coherent thought from Sarah Palin. I can get on board with that, but then she continues. At the same time, um, if a woman believes that she is being intimidated and harassed, she needs to stand up and do something about it, not stick around for a paycheck for years and years and years, and then after the fact, complain about what she went through. As a strong woman, I say, you know, we're, we should be feel more empowered than that. Stick around for a paycheck. Is yep. that what these women did at Fox News? I mean, that's it's unbelievable that she would say that. It, it is, and it, it, it sort of ties in with a few things that I think are directly part of this and also just deeper, which is that you know, Bill O'Reilly was saying the same thing. When Megyn Kelly had left, because you know, multiple people had you know, that talked about the culture there. On-air talent were talking about the sexual harassment they'd experienced. When she had made some remarks about Roger Ailes, Bill O'Reilly attacked her publicly and said, when somebody is giving you a paycheck, you owe them loyalty, period. I mean, this was Megyn Kelly. That think hit. about that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it really is. And, oh, that's grotesque. And I think what's gross about uh, what Sarah Palin said is that, you know, this idea that people can just come forward, I think, has been is something that it, it should be a part of this story. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think I, I understand why people might think it's intuitive, but it's not. I mean, if you especially in an environment where there's a culture, who do you come forward to? Um, and if the people you work with have come forward bravely and they have either been directly retaliated against or nothing has happened, why would you do that? I mean, I don't like the idea that we blame people who have been uh, harassed and abused and assaulted by predators like Bill O'Reilly um, for not standing up firmer or coming out more or putting themselves more yeah. on the line, especially when Bill O'Reilly himself had used the big platform that he had had to go after Everybody. I mean, he attacked news outlets years ago that reported on his sexual harassment. He actually led advertiser boycott campaigns against newspapers that would publish anything about the story. Uh, that's. I mean, he would. He. I mean, he. He. There was no form of intimidation that he would not deploy uh, to continue to engage in this kind of conduct and obviously advance his agenda. So I, I just think there's something really messed up at all about blaming uh, about about blaming women here. That's that's a problem. No, I think it's a big, big problem. And I think every professional woman has dealt with this at, at some point. Every woman in there, you know, has, has dealt with with this. 
But here's my question. I'm not I'm not trying to excuse anything, but like when you look at these guys that do this and use their power to ab- abuse women in this way or harass mm-hmm. women in this way. Um do they understand like does Bill O'Reilly uh, like to this day does does he understand that this is Sexual harassment, this is not okay? Or is this a boys being boys situation? I think this is a part of his ideology. And I, I think, think so, right? Yeah, I do. I think this is part. You know, I, I think this is partly why that it's in something like this can fester at a place like Fox News. Um, it's not like they're the only you know, workplace that has a, a problem on this issue. Sure. Um, but I do think the reason why it's so intense and extreme there is actually directly connected to their ideology and their worldview. I mean, if you look on air, I cannot tell you the amount of segments and jokes that they make about women being in the kitchen. Um, oh, God. Right? Oh, my God. You guys had a great video on, on right. just all of the things on Fox it's and Friends. It's very intense. And then the awkward, intense, just uncomfortable exchanges, hypersexualized that they do to other on-air talent. I mean, it is an environment that is based very much on their ideology, which essentially really does not acknowledge that women are equal. I mean, yeah. It doesn't. I mean, that's partly why they advocate against something as foundational as equal pay, right? I mean, well, the, like, yeah. Even if you look at the O'Reilly stuff, some of these allegations come from, you know, there was a woman who he told her he could make a contributor or maybe even get her own show, right? right. Like, that just shows how unequal they – like, you help me out, and I – and my seat of power here can help you out. That's right. Which is textbook harassment. It is. It is. And and even in the more subtle ways, like in the, uh, in the makeup room for on-air talent and guests, um, women were actually inspected before they went on air, whether you're a talent or guest – um, and if the producer didn't, uh, if you did not meet the Fox standard for your makeup and how it was done, they would send you back to the makeup room to have the person fix it. Um, they they actually give them different sets of instructions at the studios for for women, um, and they're literally inspected before they went on air. And I mean that is the environment at Fox News. This is why I think I mean that's why it's important to recognize that this is much deeper than O'Reilly. This is what advertisers were responding to, and this is what the public was backlashing against. And this is why you saw. Actual on-air talent, literally, these are Fox News personalities going to the New York City Human Rights Commission and saying, "We this the situation where there is so bad that we need a human rights investigation." Jesus. I mean, that's that's actually what Fox News personalities are saying, um, and it's largely because these women came forward very bravely um, and created the space necessary to have this conversation. So we move on from the O'Reilly era. He is gone. He is old news. And now we have the new Fox News, the new and changed and improved Fox News. You look at the new lineup, and um, it's also a little problematic. It is. Tucker Carlson replaces Bill O'Reilly at 8 o'clock. And Tucker Carlson is beloved by white nationalists and neo-Nazis. Like, he actually is. (laughs) They love him. Um, and his staff, his production staff, actually engages in their communities to come up with show ideas. We watch them post comments on the Reddit, uh, uh, on the Reddit, uh, on the subreddits, basically saying like, "I'm the EP, verified." And they're asking for solicitation of ideas. They're engaging with the communities there. They actually have a dialectic, I and mean, they are deeply connected to these communities. So, Good God. Uh, uh, and he himself is a misogynist. I think what Tucker represents is a perfect marriage between the sort of like this new media environment that we're dealing with, this alt-right, this larger, broader fake news ecosystem, this hyper-partisan ideological social media environment, and then the legacy uh, like institutional like propaganda like Fox News has. And he really is a bridge between those these two things. He's clearly uh, the, the future there, but I do think, and this is a strange thing to say, it's totally counterintuitive, but it's the truth, is that 
I think once Bill Shine goes as the last vestige of Bill of of of, uh, of Roger Ailes, that in five to seven years Fox News is unrecognizable. Really? Yeah, because James Murdoch, it's not because he's ideological. He's a hard businessman. And Fox, most of Fox News' business growth um, as a company, if you look at it, is all internationally focused. Mm. Um, and just like they're dealing right now with this regulate, like they're trying to take over Sky News in the UK, which is the second largest there uh, broadcaster there. They're running into regulatory problems. Literally, the thing that is being investigated is the f potential foxification of Sky News. That's what they're calling it. Um, and so they have. Isn't that fascinating? It's amazing. And so, like, their expansion plans, their growth, their business is not actually sustainable unless they turn Fox News into something that is not as big of a liability as it is. And, and that's just that's just Isn't the that amazing? Yeah. Like they, this juggernaut that they're so proud of from a commercial perspective is actually their their true Achilles heel in terms of the sustainability of that company. And James Murdoch is the person that's now in charge of it, not Rupert Murdoch. He has to deal with this for the next 40, 50 yeah. years of his life. And he's no dummy. No, and that's just the reality. I mean, that that's not him being altruistic or being Sure, better. right, 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 right. They just right. don't yeah, have yeah, a yeah. choice. Right. Um, all of, and, and this getting over this one regulatory hurdle in the UK is the easiest hurdle in terms of their long-term growth plan. So if they can't cross this, uh, they their growth plan, they're done. They will not be able to develop at all. I am fascinated by that, yeah. Angelo. Yeah, it's, that's it, it really is. interesting. Yep. Because you know, I mean, I, th I mean, you, I mean, look, we've done this show here for a long, long time with Bill, right? And for all of the stuff that we said about how George W. Bush was the Fox News president and all of that, which you know, look, was very true. They carried a lot of water for for George W. Bush on Fox News. Donald Trump is is the Fox News candidate. He is. He gets his news from Fox News. He engages with them. They do stories just for him to see. He does stuff just for them to see. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, he is part of the Fox News DNA. Well, and for a while, you know, when we thought Trump was going to lose in the election, mm -hmm. we assumed Trump TV was coming next, right? And that Trump TV was going to take Fox's place. Yeah. And that Fox would actually maybe moderate in some case. But yeah. look what's happened now. Not yet. Trump's president, and he's their president. Yep. Man. And like you could see, like you could see actually pieces of the future sort of mm -hmm. emerging. So like if you watch Shep Smith's show, he's always been like pretty decent. I like Shep, um, but he's been full disclosure. I will watch Shep Smith over just about anybody. Agreed. He's been extra vigilant in the past yeah. few months. He's been emboldened, and that that emboldening doesn't just come because Roger Ailes is gone. It's actually reflective of the power dynamics that are play, taking place there. It is an indication of where they go in the long run. Um, what they have right now is an unsustainable business model, and they actually do know it. Uh, and so if the longer Bill Shine lasts, uh, the longer that this this sort of vestigial organ of ales and that error stays. But once he goes, he really is the last barrier to actually beginning to change the trend lines at Fox News. It's remarkable. It really I is. think that's remarkable. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other personalities on Fox who we're yep. going to see more and more of. Eric Bowling, who is my least enjoyable person to watch on TV. Yes. I think I think he is O'Reilly incarnate. Yeah, he is. He's not as good on air, though. No, no, no. He's not right? nearly as talented. Right, he's right. way less talented. <laughs> yeah. But the same bloviating, yep. loudmouth, uh, not totally clear on the facts, but will still yell about him anyway. Yep. Yeah. Um, does he have a big future there at Fox? He, he does not. Um, okay. They will try desperately to make him a thing. 
but he won't. Um, he's been given multiple opportunities, uh, and it's never really taken off for him, uh, mainly because he's one. He, there's, he has nothing original, honestly. Uh, he doesn't. The, say, say what you will about Bill O'Reilly. He's a bad, bad person. Talented broadcaster. Very capable, exactly. And that allowed for him to utilize the the space that Fox gave him. Eric Bowling has never been able to do that. I mean, his biggest moment was when he blew up the birth certificate that President Obama had released in order to, like, <laughs> dissect it. That was actually his biggest moment. That's right. And he was, like, so late to that game, you know? I mean, yeah. and even then, it, it, that was it. That was, like, his big thing. Uh, he is just not that interesting. And... Uh, but they will try for a while, and then I think eventually he will get frustrated and leave. I think that's uh, I, I think that's a pretty uh, good way to look at it. Jesse Waters is uh, is back in the mix, who is a O'Reilly protege. Yes, he's a contemptible tool, and I usually don't like to use ad homonyms, <laughs> but I think we'll let you do that. I will me. in this case because when somebody is as exploitative and bigoted yeah. as he is, uh, uh, proudly bigoted, uh, proudly. I mean, he's he harasses people. Uh, there have been reporters that he's tracked down and has chased after uh, at, at their personal, at their homes, in order to like play this stupid gotcha game about. He chased wine. down Amanda Turkle from Huffington right. Post yep. on That's vacation. Right. Yeah, 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 on vacation. Um, he's going. I, he did this like, and he uh, for producing one of these stupid segments, Waters World for O'Reilly. Um, he actually basically just mocked a bunch of high school students. Almost all of them were women. Which like, why are you going after kids? Um, you're a giant TV show. And obviously that that segment where he made fun of Asian Americans, that's pretty much the standard fare there. Um, and he pops his collar. Nothing. And he pops his collar. So <laughs> the Asian uh, uh, bit that he did on his show was so overtly racist, and like, yeah, nothing ever came of that. That's right. And and he every, just kept doing it. It was right. just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This because is what we that do. That was actually for O'Reilly. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, that's part. Like, I think everyone was so mad about Jesse Waters, and it was like Jesse Waters. Nothing will happen to him because this was part. This was for Bill O'Reilly's show. Yeah. Um. That's why he got that pass because this was actually part of the business model of O'Reilly. It's not that misogyny uh, was just the only thing he dabbled in. I mean, he was an intense bigot uh, and an explicit racist. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Let me ask you this: Now that O'Reilly is gone, and and uh, who knows what happens to him? You know, I mean, I, I don't think O'Reilly is the type of guy that's just going to go away. Mm-hmm. Where would a guy like that go now? I mean, the media has changed a lot. Well, yes, it's true. Well, uh, we know where he went right before he got fired, which was he frantically emailed Glenn Beck asking for help and saying that he had proof of a conspiracy that somehow media matters, which was pretty public about the fact that we were engaging in this effort, was actually driving this, which was amazing that he ran to Glenn Beck of all people yeah. for help. You, you, uh, you guys didn't really run a secret campaign about... It wasn't really a secret. Yeah. Like, we have a website. And, uh, <laughs> and actually, our Twitter account was Stop O'Reilly. <laughs> so it was like no yeah, right. subtlety whatsoever. Um, we were very, but very But what do you mean nose. by that exactly? Let's dissect that <laughs> um, a little bit. But the reason I bring that up here to your question is that now Glenn Beck is sort of alluding to the fact that maybe Glenn Beck has actually created a rumor mill on his own website, again, not so subtle, that maybe Bill O'Reilly will end up there. Um, I, I think that that for a while he just kind of dissipates. Maybe he ends up going to like a place like a Newsmax or I ultimately think he, he doesn't do any more like television production. Yeah. Um, he's getting pretty up there. And here's the, the biggest reason why I think that it's not the age factor. Um, because, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's just hard to build, which is a part of it. But I actually think the biggest reason is that his audience um, won't follow him. Right. It's it, they're not they're not engaged. They don't consume their news. I don't think at you're wrong. Online. Yeah. Um, and that's just that's just his audience is very unique. At least Sean Hannity. He has a, a mixed audience because they have radio um, and yeah. he has a cross pollinated audience. So it's multi it's, it's multi platform. 
Bill O'Reilly's audience only watches television. Yeah. Um, they do not engage on Twitter and social media. They do not consume their news digitally. And we know that based off of this campaign, literally nobody was tweeting about Bill O'Reilly um, in a, like wow. a positive way. He never has a social media presence. It's just not a factor. That, I think that also played into why he stuck around so long is that, and, and that's why it finally came down to the advertisers that made this an issue for them because his people don't care. They're, right. they're all, I mean, it, it's no secret that he had like the oldest audience in cable news. Right, he did, and, and that's the thing. I mean, they they're just not going to like reform how they engage with information and consuming in order to follow Bill O'Reilly. Like, people don't love him that much, right? Right. Um, and I get the fact that like, everyone's like, "Well, he sells so many books." It's like, yes. And if I wrote a book with a title and everybody knew me, and then I had a deal with Barnes and Noble and every book company where I put it like right in front of my face yeah. every time I walk every in the door. Like there's an entire universe, uh, and actually it's only, it's a, the biggest company is actually owned by Rupert Murdoch called Floor Graphics that actually like does the science of how you get people to buy things in stores and like where you put books. It's mostly used for supermarkets. Um, wow. And like, but like that's like, it's science. And like where you put these books and how you display them is a huge part of how you influence sales. So, and if you have a platform with three million audiences, you get to promote yourself for for months uh, and giving everybody like stupid discounts and pretending that if they buy your book, you're going to give them all this money to like, and you're going to save veterans, which was like none of that is actually none true. None of it's true. Um, then you know you will sell books. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be harder for him to do that without a platform. Um, and uh, but I mean, he has the ability to do that, but I don't think that reflects the strength of his audience or anything. I, I just don't. I think that's a smart, smart point. I think that that is, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, that absolutely makes sense. You know, I keep looking at the, the rise of these these newer things like One American News mm-hmm. or, you know, even, even The Blaze, even though it's been around for a little while now. And I just kind of wonder where this is all going. It's going it's gonna, it's there, it's going to a food fight, basically, between yeah. them. I mean, they, it, you can see it emerging at, at smaller circles um, where they've all spun up their own little like social media followings and these own platforms where they'll start to cannibalize each other a little bit. So that's one piece of it is, I think, this constant state of volatility for a while. Because um, they're all jockeying to be both the primary conspiracy theorist um, for for Trump's administration, but then also a validator. Yeah. Uh, but then in terms of where they go, you know, One American News has been strange in just their business model. I think when they originally emerged, they were going to have like like commentary, and now they're yeah. more news. Like, yeah. Like just running weird segments. They're not trying to do the commentary thing as much. So interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch, and uh, we'll watch it with you, President of Media Matters for America, Angelo Corazon. Uh, MediaMatters.org is where you can find them. I suggest you do it every day. Go get our podcast in iTunes. Just look for The Bill Press Show or go to BillPressShow.com. We'll have it posted there. Go to YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show.